welcome to Teach the Word. Thanks for joining today. Topic for today is going to be justification. Um, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to um, look at your word and uh, be changed by your word. So Lord, help your word cut to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, justification, what is it um, exactly? You know, it's a Latin-based word, um, but uh, it does come up in pretty common English uh, as far as um, people trying to uh, justify their actions or provide some kind of justification for why they did what they did. Um, so it's usually uh, people trying to, in, in the usage we use it, Nowadays, a sense of trying to um, show that you're right, um, I think, more or less. Uh, in the Bible, it's it's used as a translation uh, of a Greek word family that, uh, you know, justify, justifies, justification, you know, nouns and verbs, uh, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle that... Um, Seems to me to be legal, kind of, in, I looked at the, you know, concordance list of the instances of that Greek word family, and the, the flavor that comes across to me is a legal one. So, uh, I think it has this sense of God being judge in a court of law, and, uh, him being, him declaring, uh, Basically, he's he's issuing acquittals, uh, so so that's kind of kind of it. So maybe um, the definition would be the, the act by which a judge declares someone not guilty, or the act by which God, as judge, declares uh, believers not guilty. It's, it's an acquittal process. Um, it's not because Christians are innocent and they were falsely accused. It's it's because another innocent person, Jesus Christ, has absorbed the full penalty of the law uh, in their place. And it, that, that's the idea of justification in the Bible, really, that um, God, rather than us needing to, um, you know, clean ourselves up and... and uh, be good enough to come to God. God takes us as a as a rough rabble, um, places the penalty for our our actions on Christ, and declares us acquitted, righteous, just. Um, you know, it was a real mystery. You know how God was going to do this is one of the things that Paul in the New Testament calls a mystery. You know, a hidden thing. Why don't we look at some of some of the mystery flavored kind of passages? Let's look at let's go to Corinthians first Corinthians two. Um that is Chronicles. Oops. Corinthians, sorry. What do I have here? 1 Corinthians 2, 7. 
But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So here Paul's talking about this mystery of, of redemption, that God, how God was going to be both just, as in not letting people off the hook, but also the justifier of those who he's chosen to save. So he was going to provide the justification, but he was going to remain just. That was a mystery that no one knew in the Old Testament, how it was going to play out. But in the in the New Testament, it's revealed in Christ. And had had people known this, Paul's saying they wouldn't have allowed Christ to be crucified. The the you know the principalities and powers, the rulers of this age wouldn't have wouldn't if they'd known they wouldn't have had Christ be crucified. Is the idea uh, of that little passage in First Corinthians two? Let's look at Colossians one. Start verse 25. Um, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me mightily. So there's the mystery. Where, where is it? Uh, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's Christ is the means of justification, and it was a, it was a hidden thing, an unknown thing, um, only revealed um, at a later date uh, in the history of, of sanctification in the New Testament era. So let's look at Romans 3, which kind of will explain the mechanics of it how it works. Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, of whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's what I was pointing out earlier, that God had provided this way that he could still be just and require penalty, but he could he could forgive sin, sinners by allowing the penalty to be paid on their behalf um, by Jesus. Where is boasting then? Verse 27 now. It is excluded. By what law? Of works. No, but the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith 
apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So we got this strong uh, it's, uh, instance, it's justification by faith in Christ. So one puts faith in Christ as being a perfect substitute on their behalf in his death on the cross, and one receives the acquittal from God. And the penalty, that the blame that, they, that it was on them is placed on Christ. That's the mechanics of justification. Um, that's Paul. I mean, we can look at some of the other, like, let's look at how Peter talks about it. Let's go to 1 Peter. Peter's another apostle. 1 Peter 2. How about we start in 21? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously? Who himself bore our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed? For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So there you have Christ, verse 22. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 22, you have Christ who had committed no sin, right? And then 23, he's, uh suffers uh, as a sinner, even though he hadn't committed sin. In 24, he's bearing our sins on himself taking our sins on him so that we can have righteousness. That's verse 24. And then 25 is to restore the relationship between us and God. That's Peter. Um, shall we look at Hebrews? Hebrews, we don't know actually who wrote it. It may be Paul, but it, it might not be. Um, some people think it is, but we don't know who the author is. So let's look at how it's portrayed, how this is portrayed in, in Hebrews. In his, uh, Hebrews 2.14 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their life subjected to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So that's emphasizing how uh, Christ partake in human flesh so that he could um, be a substitute for us. Um, let's go back to Romans 3, though, because I believe that Paul in Romans makes the 
clearest articulation of this whole topic. Let's go back to what we read. We read, what did we read from 23 on, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So that's verse 23. Really clear that everyone's guilty, right? And if you look at verses uh, 24 and 25, you have God's solution. God's sending the, the free gift of, of Jesus as a sacrifice for the sin guilt of everyone. So 23, everyone's guilty for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. 24, 25, God has provided a sacrifice for that sin guilt. Let's read that. For being being freely ju- justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Right, and then you'll see, you see in verse six that this twenty six that, that this is is God did this so that He could be. Um, he wasn't just letting people off the hook. He was actually still maintaining his right, his justice, his sense of justice to demonstrate in the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And then you see in, in verse 27 that any human efforts excluded, right? Where then is boasting? It's excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. And then in 28, you see that it's faith alone, right? Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That, in a nutshell, is the doctrine of justification um, in Protestant Christianity. It's that God is declaring the believer righteous legally. Um, He's acquitting them of the charges that are against them and the penalty for those charges is falling on Jesus uh, and Jesus is the substitute for he's the sacrificial substitute and uh, and that's that's it and through Jesus's death many are made righteous and you could you could state it in a lot of different words but that's based that's it there's other passages besides Romans that that show you know, the whole the whole thing. Um, Galatians talks a lot about how it's it's through faith alone in Christ alone, not not by works. Um, chapters two and three of Galatians. Um, it's really strong on how there's no human effort added. Uh, why don't we just go there to Galatians and read a verse or two to try to show what I'm talking about? I think maybe 2.16 is the best one to show this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. 17. This is chapter 2 of Galatians. But we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a sinner? If, while we seek to be justified, we are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For though the law, for through the law I died, 
to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, she's really hammering home that it's only through Christ's crucifixion, his sacrificial death, that he is justified by having faith in Christ, not by anything he can do. His performance is excluded. That's a really strong... Galatians and Romans strongly state that. Um, but, I mean, that's not really the emphasis in every passage where justification is talked about or, or Christ's work is talked about. Um, it is a strong emphasis, certainly in Romans and Galatians, but there's other emphases elsewhere. So, like, if we go to 1 Corinthians 15, the work of Christ is... You know, talked about uh, quite a bit, um, but there's a different focus. It's it's about his um, resurrection after his sacrificial death. So the sacrificial death is not really the focus. Um, let's just see here. First uh, Corinthians fifteen. Um, Let's just start verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you have been saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our, our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Then he goes on to establish on witness testimony how he knows Christ rose again, you know, how many different people saw him when he was risen. So that's, he establishes it fairly strongly um, in the next several verses. And then if you go down to verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith also is empty. Yes, and we have been, are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised Christ up, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. I mean, it goes on, but that's a central argument of the whole chapter, is that Christ is risen, and the gospel isn't a futile thing, it's a, and that the resurrection is an important piece of the gospel. But you you won't see the resurrection in, in like when the Romans 3 passage, or the, in Galatians uh, 2 and 3 when we were reading. The focus isn't on the resurrection, but it, it's, a, it's a, an important, crucial part of the narrative. The justification narrative. It's it's not just that Christ dies in our place and the end of story. Uh, Christ also rises again. He returns to life. There's a resurrection. Um, and that's a crucial part of the story, of the justification story also. Uh, you know, there's other focuses in other chapters, you know, like uh, if we went to... Uh, Let's go to 1 John. 
you know, first John, there's a lot about our sin. Uh, it's a heavy emphasis, but it's not just that, oh, we have sin. It's, it's, it's our sin and, and how, how our sin is dealt with. Um, you know, like, look, uh, Verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. I mean, so you notice that there's not a whole, a strong emphasis here placed on the, the propitiation that Jesus made, the, the, the sacrificial death, his, his atonement. Rather, there's a huge emphasis placed on us having sin, that it, he is dealt with in him. We confess our sins to him. And he's an advocate, and he's making, he, he himself is the propitiation. It's just, that's the minor part. The major part is the sin. So I'm just giving different little passages that talk about this, this doctrine of how we're, believers are justified through Christ Jesus to try to show um, there's different flavors, you know, or different emphases in different passages. Certainly the Faith, faith alone is a big emphasis in Romans, Galatians. The resurrection is an emphasis in Corinthians 15. Sin is an emphasis in some passages. Um, and then just finally, the, the transformational impact of God's rescue plan is a big emphasis in a lot of other passages. Um, so if we, uh, if we were to look, um, well... We could try, uh, why don't we go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Let's see. Um, talking about here. Huh. How about verse 9? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So I, I think that that passage is not focusing on the sin, but it's focusing on the transformation, how there's change in Christ. Um, but right, maybe you might not think that based on a long list of sins. Let's go to a different one. Maybe that might show it better. How about Ephesians? Like Ephesians 4. Hmm. Let's see here. Maybe uh, I'll start in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, 
that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See the change process? You put off the old, be renewed, put on the new. Therefore, verse 25, put away lying. Let each one speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. 28. Let him who steal, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. See the change going on here. He did, whoever did this, let him now do this. The transformational impact of the gospel or, or the, the justification provided by Christ is what's emphasized in a passage like this. 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that's what's good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Um, that's, uh, that's Ephesians 4. So I'm just trying to show here that the Bible, the New Testament is going to talk about the justification that's available to the believer in Christ, which I tried to define in legal terms as God declaring believers not guilty or acquitting them. And he's able to do that because of the sacrifice of Jesus' death as a substitute. He's taking the penalty for the believers. It's not that the believers aren't actually guilty. It's that they, they are guilty, but the guilt is placed on Christ, so they don't have to bear the, the sin guilt. Christ bore it. Um, and then that different writers, <clears throat> so I tried to show Paul talking about it and Peter, the, the different, different authors in the New Testament talk about Christ as the sacrifice, providing the justification. Then different passages emphasizing different aspects of it, how by faith alone in uh, Romans and Galatians, or the resurrection being emphasized in Corinthians, or the um, sin being emphasized by John. And I read some from, from 1 John. The transformation part being emphasized in some of Paul's writings. So, um, that's really it. I think that sums up the, the, the topic of uh, justification by uh, faith alone, by Christ, in justification in Christ. That's the doctrine of justification. Um, but I will close with like a, an additional thought, um, and that is that when we talk about transformation, which is kind of what I went into at the very end, it's easy to fall into error. Um, really, there's two, two sides of a pit. You don't stay on the road. You fall off onto one or the other gutter. And, and the one is um, legalism. Legalism where uh, just sort of It takes the idea of transformation out of the context of Christ's work, and it weighs people down with uh, how they need to transform themselves. 
and it doesn't empower them for change. Um, this is the this is the main criticism that Jesus had of the religious leaders of his day. If we can look at Matthew. Uh, chapter 23 where Jesus is really is criticizing these religious leaders we can start in verse 1 then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat therefore whatever they tell you to observe that observe and do but do not do according to their works for they say and do not do for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places in feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren." Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Um, you know, he goes on, there's there's several woes, like in 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Um, woe to you in 15, woe in 16. He calls them fools, blind guides. Um... But one of the things he's he's just very unhappy with them about is that they're putting these burdens on people um, that are legalistic, that they can't bear. Just making people, you know, got to do this, 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 and this. Jesus is very not happy about that. If you read, especially you read chat, that whole chapter, chapter uh, 23, and he thinks that they're neglecting the weightier matters and focusing on the nitty-picky things that aren't that important. Um, and so that's a problem when you talk about transformation if you don't keep justification in view. If you if you try to talk about transformation out of the context of Christ's work, the, the it's a, transformation is an impact of justification, of, of Christ's work for us on the cross. If you just talk about transformation outside of that context, it just weighs people down with, oh, you got to do this. You got to be different, do different. But there's no power to do different because there's no death and resurrection of Christ being talked about. Uh, so that's one side of the road you can fall off on if you start talking about transformation is to remove it from its proper context of as a, as a consequence of justification. Um, the other end is... is uh, you could fall off on is licentiousness, which is uh, where you take the work of justification and you rip it out of the context of transformation. So it's just Christ has justified you, but there's no there's no context of, of transformational impact because of it. So you either way you're divorcing the two. If you divorce transformation from justification, you get legalism, and if you divorce justification from transformation, you get licentiousness. Um, James is probably the best spot. He's not very, he articulates this strongly. He's not happy with the idea of divorcing the two topics. James 2. Oh. 
James chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Some pretty strong language. He's trying to to, to stop the separation out of work uh transformation change in one's life from justification saying that they go together and you can't say he's like show me the the, the faith that you have without have without change in your life and, and, and he's saying you can't you only can show me your faith by life change it's kind of the idea so it's important to to focus on that it the the by faith alone part because that's very strong in romans 3 and galatians 2 and 3 um, it is by faith alone. It's not by works. But, looking at James 2, works are going to follow. There's a transformational impact that just necessarily falls from justification. You can't separate transformation from justification. They go together. Um, yeah. Thanks for, for listening. That's some thoughts on justification. The doctrine of justification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are just and the justifier of those who are being saved. We thank you so much that you provided a way through Christ's death on the cross. You provided a way that I and every believer who comes, who believes, puts their faith in your death on the cross can be acquitted, can be declared righteous by you. We, we are so grateful for that, Lord God. It is truly amazing grace. And so we just thank you so much, Lord. We pray you'd help us to not lose, ass, lose sight of the, the richer aspects of it, how it's presented in multifaceted light in the New Testament. Um, yes, it's by faith alone. But there's emphasis on different parts and different passages and that we wouldn't lose sight of the, the kaleidoscope, the beauty of your gospel by uh, only looking at one presentation of it all the time. So, Lord, we, uh, we just come to you. We throw ourselves at your mercy and we ask, Lord God, that you would transform us. We don't want to be uh, like James says, which is dead. We want to have faith that is uh, alive. We want to be, to believe in you, to be righteous in your name, but then also we want to be transformed by you, Father God. So 
we come asking for your power and your to work in our lives to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, thanks for joining. Have a good day.